Welcome to the Intentional House Podcast. Here, it's all about creating beautiful homes that actually help families love better. Here's your host, the home coach herself, Carly Thornock. Hey homies, it's Carly. I'm so glad that you're here. This is the official podcast of Intentional House where we love to help soulful moms magnify their homes to strengthen their relationships. If you are a mom, if you have a house, and if you are looking to use that house to become your biggest tool in loving the people you care about the most, this is the place for you. In our Thornock life, the Thornock life update, we are still on the Texas beach and it is so amazing. I am completely enamored with this Corpus Christi area. We went up to the city last week. The kids wanted to drive their bikes in a skate park. And so we went and found Cole Park, which was so cool. And they rode their bikes in the the BMX skate park area. And the houses in that area were so charming. It was really fun. I loved how unique they were. You have big stone mansions. And then the next door, there's an adobe south southerly looking home. And then right next door is a colonial brick home. It's just so fun. A good mismatch mashup of home styles. And I think that that's fun. I think that that speaks character. It speaks individuality to me. So I really have loved it. I've done a lot of California beach time, but I have never done Texas beach time. And I love it. I love being able to drive on the beach I love being able to camp on the beach. That's just something that you don't get to do in California. So rah-rah for the whole Texas experience thus far. Funny story. So Chase and I do our cold therapy every morning. And since we're at the beach, obviously, we just run into the ocean. And that's been great because we don't have to dump our water tank nearly as often. It's like taking a shower. Um, But it's cold. It's cold in the ocean. And there are people here early in the morning. And they are like setting up fishing or doing whatever they're doing on the beach. But we usually venture out at about 7, 30, 8 o'clock in the morning. And we're in our swimming suits and they're in their like full on parkas <laughs> and their sweaters and their hats. There, there's people running on the beach, working out, doing that sort of a thing. But it's still early in the season. It's March now. So in the morning, you know, it's like 50s, 60s. People aren't getting in the water. It's cold. (laughs) So we just run out. We run out with our boogie boards. We catch a few waves. It's like five minutes. Our kids are in their pajamas, like jumping on the shore, cheering for us. And then we all run back into our trailer. I'm sure we are a sight to behold. While we are traveling, we are also working on our ranch. So back at home, back at the ranch, (laughs) we are working on our well application. So what this means is we submit some paperwork. They give us what's called the start card, and we are allowed to start digging our well. And in order to start digging our well, the well digger needs to know where to dig the well. So we are figuring out exactly the coordinates of where this well needs to go. This is like all one big tongue twister. So I drew out my lot, and I did it with like a quarter inch equaling... 10 feet so we could do it down to scale. I could fit it on a piece of computer paper. And it took me six tries to get the lot lines right. This is not hard math. This is not a difficult thing to do. I do this all the time for myself and with my students and for my clients. Like I'm doing this process of in proportion minimizing the size of of, of lines of houses all the time. And it took me six tries. I kept being like, this looks wrong. This looks wrong. It's out of proportion. I guess I'll just double check. I'll just double check my lines. I'll d- double check my boundaries. And I'm off. 
by a lot. One time I was off for by a hundred feet. <laughs> That's a lot. So all of this to say, when you're not afraid of getting things wrong, when you're not afraid of trying things and iterating and trusting your intuition to be like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Maybe I need to double check this. Maybe I need to revisit it. Then eventually you get it right. And that's really the only way to guarantee that you're ever going to get anything right when it comes to designing your house is just being willing to iterate. And it totally struck me when I was the one needing to iterate a lot of times. It struck me as frustrating to be like, oh, why is this taking so long? What, what am I doing wrong? I'm so confused. This is so hard. I don't know what's going on. But eventually I got it right. Eventually it all worked itself out. I had somebody else come and check my work, namely my husband. <laughs> I had just a few times to be careful. I slowed down. I asked myself what I was really doing. I recalculated, relooked at the numbers and it all fell into place. I could see where my mistakes were. Now, where we run into trouble is when we aren't, we are afraid, where we aren't willing to iterate, where we think, oh, I should be able to do this the first time. That's what I was thinking. That's the thought that felt so awful. I do this all the time. This should be easy. I should be able to do this in my sleep. What is wrong? We make it mean. We make our mistakes mean something about us and our character. I must be stupid. I must be bad at this. I must be the only one that takes so long. Those thoughts aren't helpful. And the way that we know that they're not helpful is because it doesn't lead us to act. When I was thinking those thoughts, I just wanted to sit down and cry. <laughs> I didn't want to do anymore. I didn't want to do my math anymore. I just wanted to be like, who cares? Just have them pick a spot and drill the dang well. I don't care where the ball goes anymore. I'm frustrated. But when I could, could think thoughts that were more productive in, to, my, to my life, to my heart, when I could think things like, oh, I must have missed something. I wonder what I missed. Or this always takes a little while to figure out. Or it's fine. It's fine to get it right. It's fine to take the time that I need to to get it right. That's when I could slow down. That's when I gave myself permission to actually get it right. So you don't have to tell yourself thoughts that you don't feel are true. You want, in fact, to believe your thoughts, especially when you're creating thoughts on purpose to lead you toward a destination you want to go. But they don't necessarily have to be true. Like, for instance... It might not be provable in a court of law that everybody takes a minute to get their math right. Who cares, though? Because what that did for me, thinking that thought is, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not deficient. I'm just fine. I'm right where I need to be. Carry on. And I did. So consider for a second that your thoughts don't have to be true to everybody. They just have to be true to you in creating the result that you're looking for. And in that willingness to find truth for yourself, you find it. That is how you come to truth. And usually a lot of us feel the same way about a lot of the same things. Like when we're feeling insecure, we don't create the results that we want for ourselves. Like that is a pattern that I have noticed over and over and over again. Is that true for you too? Be willing to see what might be true for you. And be willing to use your brain to get you where you decide you want to go. Okay, I felt like a long soapbox. Here we go. Let's get into it today. The little lifesaver. Chase built me this desk behind my door in the trailer. Maybe I've talked about this. Maybe I haven't. But I would really love to talk to you about it today because it is saving my life. It flaps down. It goes, it goes flush against our wall. 
and our sliding door to our bedroom slides over the top of it. And then when I need to work or when Chase needs to work, we close the door and pop down the tabletop. It has a little triangular stand that kicks out from the wall as well. So it has something to rest on. And we can just sit on the edge of our bed in the foot and a half in between our bed and the wall. And we can type. And then this is great because it saves our back. It saves our sanity. We don't have to hold everything in our laps or in our hands to use them. We can put them on a desk. And that's amazing. (laughs) In a trailer, this feels like luxury. So my question to you is from this little lifesaver, what in your life would make your life just so much easier, better? What's the thing that you know off the top of your head that if you could just create that, get that for yourself, make that happen for yourself, the things would be really smooth. It would make things so much easier. It would just invite your brain to understand ease in a different way. Maybe this is like updating your mop. Maybe this is getting toothpaste you actually like. Maybe it's getting underwear that fits properly. Maybe it's investing in sheets that feel really good to sleep in. Like what's the quick fix? What's the easy thing? And it might not feel easy. It might not feel like, oh, this is the best day ever to go and buy new sheets. But what is just the thing that you need? Like treat yourself to the thing that would really make a difference to you. And don't give yourself drama about it. I could tell myself like, oh, I don't need this desk. I can just really work on my laptop on my lap or I can just sit at the kitchen table. Really, it's no big deal. But when I'm working... And I need a door between me and the rest of life happening, especially in our tiny trailer. To have a desk in here has been cool and I've liked it. What's something that you would just like for the fun of it? What's been your little lifesaver? Send me an email, Carly at Intentional House, to share yours with me. And I would love to feature you on the podcast. I feel like when we share our lifesavers with one another, it's both sharing our souls. Like what's made, what's made a difference in our real lives? What's going on behind the curtain? Instagram isn't cutting it. We are seeing too much perfection. I want to see more of like what's really making a difference on the ground to you today that you're implementing and actually using in your life. And what is what is the symbol? What's the physical manifestation of that so that we can incorporate it into our own lives too? Today we get to talk about essentialism over minimalism. This is something I love to talk about. Bless Greg McEwen for writing the book called Essentialism. And he's since come out with another book called Effortless. I love the things that he writes and I've mentioned it before and I will mention it again that he is a phenomenal British man. And so when he narrates his own audiobooks, the listen is quite enjoyable. But minimalism, when it comes to design, it's a trend and that's worth talking about. In its extreme, it looks like nothing. Like it looks like very sparse design, very flowy, very artistic, very modern, very contemporary, very not literal. And that's cool. I love watching YouTube videos by the minimalism, minimalist mom, I think is what it's called. And I totally love peeking into the lives of other cool cats who like produce zero waste and stuff like this, right? I really love it. And they are more of a, like a functional minimalism approach where They have families. They don't get rid of every single thing and just live in a white box. Like sometimes we see in like artistic renderings of a minimalistic home. But 
what's so magical about minimalism? Like, what is the draw here? Why do people care to get rid of all of their stuff? Why is minimalism something worth praising? Why are we drawn to this? Minimalism has a few different invitations that I think are super compelling to consider. First is that it affords some fun challenges that invite us to get really clear about what we feel is necessary in our lives. And the challenges look like kicking back against what society says or really questioning your conditioning to assess whether an item is actually practical and useful to you or if it's just what's always been done and you've never thought about it intentionally. In minimalism, we streamline our energy and what I call babysitting time, where we're looking after our possessions, not even our children, not even like true babysitting time, just like our possession babysitting time, the effort, the space, and the hours we need to put into caring for and maintaining the things that we own. We can streamline these outputs by minimizing the inputs. Makes sense, right? Like if you don't have a counter, you can't you don't have to clean your counter. If you don't have all the appliances, you don't have to worry about storing all the appliances. And in a lot of ways, this is a solution to so many problems. First and foremost, I think of the toy room. I have my clients pick two bins, two categories of toys per child to put in their toy room. And of course, this is prime for kids that are like 10 to 12 and under where they're still playing with toys because as we grow our toys change right but when you have little kids and you're in toy phase to have so many toys to have a whole room chock full of toys is energetically draining for a child and it's energetically draining for the parent which is why I have so many moms coming to me being like Let's talk about the toy room. Something has to be done about the toy room. Whereas if we just took a minimalist approach and we simplified the actual physical things that we have to care for to babysit, then the problem almost solves itself. But there's something that's missing in just straight up minimalist minimalism. And that is its purpose. So minimalism invites us to let go of trivial things. And it's not about knickknacks. It's about the one big statement. So good. Minimalism is about doing less and having less. Usually minimalism is done to simplify and streamline for the sake of aesthetic or energy conservation. So good. But what is it about minimalism that isn't for everybody? Like, why is it that some people really gravitate toward minimalizing And some others feel just really exposed and uncomfortable. And this has to do with a lot of different things. First and foremost, of course, our thoughts. You could have a very um, maximizing of stimulation house. You could have a lot of things going on, a lot of knickknacks, a lot of gadgets, a lot of appliances, a lot of clutter, a lot of whatever. You could have a lot of that going on in your house and you could still feel focused. How we interpret our environment truly isn't about the environment. It's about us. But there are a couple of components to consider in honing in whether or not or to what extent you want to incorporate minimalism into your own life. And this is things like sensory stimulation levels. Like what's your optimal stimulation point? Do you naturally gravitate toward cleaner spaces or do you naturally gravitate toward more sensory input? Both are good. We just want to understand where you are and where the people in your household are as well. 
Another thing you want to think about is your artistic preference. Do you prefer straight lines and block colors? Do you prefer things to be easily visually organized or understood? Or do you prefer what I call like interest and intrigue and um, invitation to look closer? It's the difference between like a pointillism a Siro, is that his name? Yeah. Pointillism master who does beautiful pictures just by putting tiny pigments of paint, like dots on a canvas that when you step back, it looks like a beautiful hole, but it invites you to look closer. And there's like stories underneath stories. There's that kind of invitation where from afar, it looks very minimal and simple. And when you get closer, it's very complex and detailed. And then there's like the Van Gogh approach where things are just kind of helter skelter wherever they end up being. And then there's every single kind of artistry in between. I really like J.W. Turner, who does very impressionistic paintings of the sea. Not very many different colors, lots of like sunsets, very symbolic. That's just a different kind of art. So understand about yourself, like what your artistic preference is, and maybe you're a little bit of everything. And that's beautiful to recognize. So what happens when you recognize your stimulation set point and you recognize your artistic preference and you want to incorporate this into your home? So there are a few problems I see with a strictly minimalist approach and truly these same pitfalls apply to any design style that you choose, any artistic preference that you choose. And it's just the fact that sometimes we adopt somebody else's rules as the standard that we have to conform to and we forget that we are allowed to want a little bit of everything in different proportions. A second downfall that I see with the minimalist approach, like in a strict sense, is that less can just be less if it's not a meaningful and self-directed paring down. If you're feeling forced to get rid of things, then simplification can feel torturous. And if you don't have the things that you need and you actually use, then you are creating more work for yourself. So it's a fine balance. Like take, for instance, my desk. It's a fine balance between creating desks on every single wall so I can work wherever I want in whatever orientation I prefer and just having one horizontal flat surface in my home that would serve as a desk, right? There's just so much gray area in between and there isn't really a wrong answer. You just want to be clear about why. Why am I minimizing? Am I minimizing just for minimalism's sake? That I have a problem with. Am I minimalizing just to prove that I can or to follow the rules or to conform or to be trendy or to be accepted or to be better or because I think life will be better? Be careful if you're giving yourself those kind of reasons because it just doesn't work that way. Life doesn't get better just by getting rid of things. Life is always 50-50. You're always going to have something that's hard to take care of, hard to manage, something that feels stretching and growing to you, something that's uncomfortable. Life presents us with 50% discomfort and 50% joy. And no matter what we choose, those will always be there. So here's the difference maker, in my opinion. Enter essentialism. So this is the theory that was coined by Greg McEwen in his book, and here are the components that elevate minimalism 
to make it essentialism in an intentional way. To me, that's the difference maker, right? This is intentional choice that you're not just following a trend of minimalism. You're choosing what is essential to you and then minimizing to that standard. You're not minimizing to like a capsule wardrobe because 33 pieces for three months is the thing to do. So you conform, conform. It's how many things do I actually need in a season? Do I like the idea of changing my wardrobe every season? What is the purpose to me? What's the symbolism? Does this feel right? And then of course you're going to have to come up, you, you will come against uh, pushback or boundaries or things that will stretch you, but you're stretching for your own sake versus conformity's sake. So here is how essentialism is different, okay? You think less but better instead of less because. You choose the essential few over the trivial many. The essential few, I love this, over the trivial many. When we are in an essentialist mindset, few usually does the trick. But if you find that there's an essential many, you're allowed. You're allowed to have an essential many 500 spoon collection if that is what you want. But most of us find that when we think about how many spoons we essentially need, the answer is about 12, 12 to 20, depending on the size of your family, depending on your dishwashing habits. We don't need 500, most of us, but there's going to be somebody who does and that's totally okay. That is essentialism for them. We choose one over many and we make giant strides in a focused effort. So instead of choosing many endeavors, many areas of focus, we choose one to highlight. This is, this is a difficult thing for me because generally I like to have my fingers in a few different pies and I like to have my attention going in a couple of different ways. So to me, to be essential while honoring my sensory input, being a little bit higher where I like, I like a little bit more stimulation. I like a little bit more um, variety. To me, I choose two. I choose two areas of focus that can keep me focused. I'm not choosing 25. I'm choosing two areas of focus, both in my house, with my goals. Like usually when I'm doing, thinking of goals, thinking of projects, I want to have like two different things kind of going on at the same time. So there's always something for me to work on. If I'm waiting for a contractor, if I'm waiting for somebody else, or if I just need something to switch it up, I like to have two choices, but not more than that because then I get overwhelmed. So decide what that is for you. What's the direction that you want to be taking your life? What's the next thing you want to be doing either with your house or just in general? What are the things that matter to you? And then from that list, what is the one goal, the two goals you want to be focusing, focused on this quarter, this year? then just choose those. And then you'll find that your momentum picks up. You're able to maintain focus. You're able to make giant strides and see huge progress by consolidating. The other thing that essentialism invites us to think about is to update and adapt. So you are always considering, is this still essential for me? It's not just a one and done decision that you roll with for the next 25 years. This is every so often in a predetermined timeline, you are deciding again whether or not this is working for you. 
I think that that's really cool because as your life stage progresses, as your interest waxes and wanes, you are able to adapt and you're able to roll with your life. You are integrated into the seasons and who you're becoming and how old your kids are. So important. With essentialism, you are choosing instead of doing for doing sake. You're thinking, I choose to do this instead of I have to do this. You're keeping the big picture in mind, the overall vision of where you want your life to be going instead of just the minutia of a to-do list. I should get rid of all my books except for 65, and then I need to have them categorically and by color and by alphabetically ordered, organized. Just keep the big picture in mind. I want to simplify my books. And then you, from there, you anchor in to who you are. What feels good to me? How many books do I want? What's essential to me? With essentialism, you are living in inspiration and you're using play to redefine what that means to you. So this doesn't mean like, don't do any hard work, never do something that doesn't feel like ecstasy. (laughs) But this does mean that incorporate play and incorporate an airiness and a fun element and a lightheartedness with all the things you choose to pursue. And you will find that through play, you're better able to focus, you're better better able to produce, you're seeing you're going to see the results that you want. You're going to find when you approach essentialism and over minimalism that health becomes essential. The things that might be overlooked if you're thinking what can I possibly get rid of? What can I live without? You can live without going for a morning walk for sure. Like you can live a long time. But do you want to live that kind of life? If you don't have your health, what are you missing out on? How does health become essential to all of the other things that you're wanting to do with your time and with your attention and with your creativity? We need to take care of our bodies. And I love that part of essentialism where we build up from the foundation of our mental health, our emotional health, and our physical health. And the last thing that I feel like makes essentialism different from minimalism is if it isn't a clear yes, it's a clear no. So for you, if you don't know if you like the couch, then it's a no. Until you find the couch that you're a very clear yes. We don't just go buy things to fill up the spaces. We wait until we know what we want and until it's clearly a yes for us. So let's look at a few examples of more ways this very clearly applies to our houses where essentialism meets house. I, of course, call this intentionalism. So we'll look at one case if you're maximizing the home, like just using what you have to really magnify your relationships. We'll look at one case where you're moving into a new house. And then we'll look at another case if you're building or renovating. So three different scenarios here of how you can apply essentialism into your home. So example one, the magnifiers, using what you have. One of the most common issues I hear about when it comes to home and family life is chores. So let's take an example, like sweeping the floor. If you're a minimalist, you use a broom because you have to sweep the floor and you have to use a broom. You sweep daily because that's what the experts say to do, and you don't eat things that make crumbs so that you can minimize the need to sweep. 
you spend your time, your sweeping time, puttering around and kind of cleaning whatever else is dirty along your path. You feel distracted and you end up sweeping for 30 minutes and you're frustrated about how long sweeping takes. But really, you're not just sweeping, you're wiping the cabinets or you're scrubbing the chairs, those kind of things. Now, if you take this from an intentionalist perspective, you still use a broom, but you might instead choose to use a hard surface vacuum because maybe that works better for you. You clean the floors according to a plan that you have made, not in the heat of the moment, but when you have decided ahead of time you want to be cleaning your floors. Maybe it's three times a day. Maybe it's once a week. You get to choose and you watch how your family patterns go. You watch when your floors need vacuuming and then you make a plan for yourself and you stick to it. You don't spend lots of time scrubbing baseboards every day. You don't agonize over the goo on the bottom of the table. You choose to sweep because it affords maximum impact and you stay focused during your task. You eat what makes sense. You don't worry about making crumbs because you know that you're going to take care of the floors in a way that you feel good about when you feel good about it. You don't feel jerked around when your kids make messes. You don't beat yourself up about how hard chores are or how you don't want to do it. You just get it done. You play fun music, you make sweeping entertaining, and the task goes quickly. It's no big deal. Okay, what if you're building a new house? What if you're moving, not building quite yet, what if you're moving into a new-to-you house? If you are a minimalist, you design a space to be uncluttered and with beautiful focal points. You're concerned with lines and cleanliness and aesthetic above everything else. You buy sets of furniture that are trendy and go together and all fit the aesthetic of minimalism with a streamlined quality according to modern magazines rules. You invite people over when things are put together and exactly just so, precisely the way you have designed it to be. There's no evidence of human life because human life is not modern. It is not minimal, especially with young children. Now, an intentionalist approach would be you design your space with only the essential things and you define those things as what I need and I want truly from a place of rootedness and deep love. You don't care what modern magazine says and you buy what you love, what speaks to you. You invite people into your space whenever you're not worried about evidence of your life showing. You love it. You're able to have people in your imperfect, imperfect life and you're able to hold space for yourself because it's essential to your health and it's essential to the way you want to show up for yourself, for your friends. Their space is full of stories and personality. And if they love minimalism, they punctuate their spaces with large features and focal points and less clutter just because it's fun. Okay, now how does this look if you are building a new home or renovating a space, like more of a big project where you're taking down walls and making a big mess? If you're a minimalist, you build a concrete box because less is better. You only include the very basic functional necessities, one bedroom, one bathroom, a small kitchen, and a couch. You eliminate paper mail, and you recycle reliably. A true minimalist. If you're an intentionalist, you build texture and nuance with really great materials, making streamlined choices better in quality, better in experience, better for the long run. You include all the things that inspire your soul. You fit all the things you want to do and buy and create within your budget. You 
Don't detract from your most important values and your most important mission with this project or with the things that you're purchasing. You're centered on your people. You use what you need with gratitude. You do your best to show love by selecting quality pieces, quality workers, quality packaging, quality experiences. And quality is defined by you. You don't worry about using the things that you need because that's what the things are for. You recycle as you can and you show up with love for yourself, for the environment, and for other people reliably. Okay, I hope this gives you something to think about. I hope this has you questioning a little bit trends. I hope it has you questioning beliefs that you may have held about less is better or the amount of time spent doing certain chores or managing your things. And maybe you like less, but I want you to choose less for yourself in a way that is better. I want you to go for less is better over less is less. It's going to look different for you right now in this endeavor as it will in six months, as it will in five years. Of course, you're going to keep iterating. Of course, you're going to learn as you go. What is the one step you can take today toward becoming more essential at home, more intentional at home? All right, I'll talk to you guys next week. And until then, go get messy. Hey, if you are loving everything that you're hearing, I want to invite you to join the Home Love Lab. This is the program where I take you through all the steps in anchoring your home design and renovation in the love that you feel for yourself, for your spouse, for your children, and for all the guests that come into your home. It's a revolutionary way to look at home design, and I'd love to have you join me. You can find more details about the Home Love Lab at intentionalhouse.com.